Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. A lot. How many medals have you got? More than you. You haven't, mate. You oh, haven't. Yeah. You haven't, well, mate. Have. You haven't. I have. Haven't. You got, have, you got I have you got Grand you Slam? Have you got Grand Slam medal? Do you want me? Yes. Have you? Yeah. You got a Heineken Cup? Three. Oh, shit. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Um, there's a lot to talk about, so we're going to start with uh, the victorious Leinster who put on a serious display um, taking apart a really good Scarlets team um, in what looked like a revenge mission and also one that was very tactically astute and designed to highlight all their weaknesses and to really keep uh, Tyke Byrne quiet as uh, was highlighted by Murray Kinsler's uh, really cool analysis that he did on the 42 earlier on today where he spotlighted every time that um, Byrne tried to jackal the ball and every time someone came in and smashed him in the ribs. Um, what do you think was most notable about the performance? How imperious Johnny Sexton is. Um, how how competitive Robbie Henshaw is. Uh, like how much of an impact he is. What a good footballer Gary Ringrose is. And just sort of, I suppose, how strong that entire, entire Leinster front five plus Fardy is. Plus Levy. <laughs> um, that they, I suppose, since 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 the match against Exeter, the away match against Exeter, which was a real like December Cup match, I, I think probably a bit underrated because Exeter don't have any European pedigree. But again, I think they're eight or nine points ahead uh, at the top of the English Premiership. Um, they won it last year. They've been the best team in England for the last two or three years. Uh, it probably didn't get the kudos that it deserved had Leinster beaten, say, Leicester in a similar position. Or Saracens. Position, or Saracens in a, similar, like in a similar league table. I feel like it was also on a Sunday evening as well. It was on BT. I had to go yeah. around over to the pub to watch it. So, oh, it's over there. It was a great game. Mm, and it was, it, was, like, it, was, it was a real forward uh, December winter rugby battle. It was, it was... And it was a sort of a... It laid down... Lay down a marker. Thanks, GT. Thanks for popping in. Um, uh, and they've they've been very determined. So they uh, the Ring Roses footballing is is like adds such an amount to that team. I thought Fergus McFadden played very well um, for the half that he was on. But I have to say, if Luke McGrath is back, then James Lowe adds more sort of co- more potency mm. and just the ability to score when you're in the 22 that you don't have to manufacture too much you just give the ball to James Lowe like just just keep recycling it and get low on the ball mm. um, and I think it was the sort of the pragmatism of Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster that they'd really pretty the both rehabilitated themselves Lancaster pretty rehabilitated himself Cullen had pretty established himself in, in their second or last season in Cullen's second season. Um, but they didn't win anything. Haven't been to the final the year beforehand. And they look like a team that's very determined to win something this season. Been to the semi-final the year beforehand. 
No, he's the final against Connacht. Final the against yeah, Connacht, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah the first season. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was it was as good a an answer performance as as I've ever seen, you know. I think the ones I always uh think about are um when Leicester beat Monster thirty nil in the in two thousand nine ten and it, it was just a league game. But it was it was an an absolutely one side demolition of a very good a very good team. Then there was the 2012 semi-final against Claremont away in Claremont. Uh, and again, at that's it, Claremont were just outstanding. It was a Bordeaux. Was in Bordeaux. In yeah, Bordeaux, sorry, yeah, in the Damas. And, uh, but this, I think, topped them both because, you know, again, it was a, it was a semi-final. Um, people have, with hindsight, sort of downgraded Scarlet's challenge, but going into that match, everyone... Um, those in the know, those not in the know, were really worried about Scarlets and what they can bring to the table. Uh, you know, they fairly wiped the floor with with Lancer in, in the previous year's semi and, and Hockey Monster in the final. And it was a bright, warm day, very little wind, dry ball, and the you know the uh, conditions and the facilities were there for them to have their to have their A game out. And Scott Williams would have had 20 quid on the Scarlets had he been let. He would have had a <laughs> spare 20 quid, but he wouldn't yeah. have even covered the handicap, so he would have lost uh, No, and Leinster just wiped the floor with them. They put them into the meat grinder, and and Scarlets were just minced by 50 minutes. They were they were so beaten. Um, and you know, Scarlets were missing John Davies, and... You know, they were missing Johnny McNichol. Lancer were missing Luke McGrath, Sean O'Brien, Reese Ruddock, Josh van der Fleer. So James Lowe. James Lowe, you know. So it was... Um, there was... I don't think many Scarlet's uh, fans or, or staff or players made, made any sort of excuse. They were... They were... Came up against an absolutely inspired Lancer and they, they just got absolutely hosed and it could really upset the rest of their season I think they'll still be good I think the losses of, of players either McNichol funny enough McNichol in particular and Johnny Davies are big losses because I think the, the Scarlets would be more of a threat with Patch of the day at half because he'd have given them that direct running threat like he's a, he's a former sevens international he's a very good handler he's an international out half so they could have played say McNichol on the wing and had half penny at full back and it it certainly wouldn't have weakened that it would have straightened their back three really. I thought that I thought that selection and decision was really yeah, it was poor pick and patch the 10 yeah just you know just just pick it just pick a winger whichever winger you have left you keep patch the 10 he's so he, Himself and, and Gareth Davis have such a good relationship. And, you know, with Parks and Scott, and Scott Williams outside it. So changing that up to play him at fullback when you already have Lee Halfpenny, it's like, just just choose a young wear. You know, don't yeah. change the most important player on the pitch. For you. Don't change your head half. Like, that was, that was really... Because neither him nor Halfpenny really had any influence on the game whatsoever. No. As a result... Halfpenny's kicking as we we we're both on the this be sitting beside each other and like halfpenny's kicking is just absolutely immaculate. 
But you know, aside from goal kicking, he he was just a, a bystander, very well positioned bystander. He would have he would have <laughs> given them like a huge amount. He saw uh, everything. <laughs> um, but they never kicked him. They just kicked mm. Steph. Uh, the Leinster just kicked to Steph Evans all day long. Yeah. Um, Found him keep, off so many restarts. Yeah, keep the ball away from Halfpenny. Keep the ball away from Patcho. Just kick at Steph Evans again and again and again. Steph Evans, whether he wanted to make touch or not, he didn't make touch. He returned the ball to Leinster. Leinster then either booted it up in the air. I was pleased to see the Carney go for that drop kick because I think it's an underused ability of his. Uh, like he can, he can. He can get them from 40 plus 40, 45 mm. meters out his range when he's fit. And it, it like Leinster and Ireland haven't used it enough. Yeah. yeah, his last two have been iffy, but we've all, well, certainly both of us have seen in the past of him absolutely smash and drop goals over from a long way out. And I agree, I think, it's a, I think it's a good option. And Leinster got the, re, like, Leinster didn't get the restart. Like, Scarlet's had to 22 out. It's not like, you know, it goes dead and it gets brought back for a scrum. It's like, you have a go, you mm. hit it hard, you miss it. Even if, yeah, if you don't hit it well, you still hit it hard. Mm. And you've got a chance at a 22. But, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a bad option at all. Um, in terms of the way Leinster played, it was a lot of uh, <clears throat> running up the gut at, at the Scarlet's. Because the way they defend by spreading out, they only commit like maybe two men to a rook, try and steal the ball. If they don't steal it, they just fan out. Um, and there was there was nary a Randwick loop to be seen. No, we said that. We said we said I think in our first or second uh, podcast we talked about Johnny Barkley and and Ty Byrne. If they either put two men into a breakdown or they put nobody into a breakdown, um, and they did they did the same thing. Mm. Um, and they spread out really wide across the pitch and as you say James Ryan in particular running up the gut but everyone like so many people Fergus McFadden was ferocious as a carrier um, Scott Fardy was outstanding James Ryan he's in a Siva yeah you know Henshaw in terms of and then the, the latch as well was was a huge feature of the game it's sort of it's sort of you almost you almost absorb it rather than see it. You know that there's two people on the ground after the carry because it happens very quickly. But there was a lot of people latching on and just making sure that if a ball carrier was going into contact, he was going into contact with one and a half times the force behind him rather than just one person. And then they also hit the next man in or they hit the tackler. So it was really, it was really, it doesn't happen by accident. It's extremely well drilled, but it was ferocious. The aggression was... And the willingness to go and, and absolutely bury Scarlett's attempt at Jackers, as, as Murray pointed out in his article today, was uh, it was just it was an exemplary uh, performance of close in rugby, and it's something we've said before about the current um, fascination of running around people. You know, sometimes it's it's just as legitimate to, to run over the top of them, mm. run through them. And when I, I thought the concentration from Leinster, and I think the first player I, I, I always reference is, is Johnny Sexton, and he he talked about Larmer going down the blind side with the six man overlap on the other side in his in his press conference. But like Sexton found uh, Fergus McFadden with the cross kick that was aimed at Garrett Davies. So the Scarlets obviously put Garrett Davies over on that. I'm going to say left wing, but over on that wing, like they keep him out of harm's way when they're defending in a line, and they look to get poaches from you know Barkley or Byrne or, or Davies. Kobe Davies mm-hmm. and Leinster knew that and they knew that Davies would struggle under the high ball and they knew again like they kept it away from Halfpenny um, 
kept it away from Pacho and a try resulted directly from that. And you could see McFadden going up, going, I don't have to catch this. I just have to put him under pressure. I, mm. I have to not knock it on. That That's my job. Yeah. Don't knock it on and get on top of him and don't give away a penalty. And like good things will happen from this because he's really, really going to struggle from it. And it'll... Even if he, you know, even if they get the ball, like their scrum half is going to be out of the game. So, look, they have enough skills, and Halfpenny's clever enough to go in and, and do something good with that and move it away. But even that, like the, the concentration, Sexton knew it was on, McFadden knew it was on, and in comparison to sort of the likes of Larmer, uh, I'm going to say Joey Carberry again, um, they they just keep the pressure on. And I think it's something we'll get back to later on about that idea of, of keeping the pressure on the opposition. Um, because when you're playing cup matches, it's something that you have you have to be able to absorb pressure and you have to yeah. be able to uh, I'm going to say inflict pressure. As um, and you're you're not sure when it's going to crack, and it's that sort of idea of test match animals. Like if you when you when you look at the the sort of the quality running through the spine of the Leinster team, uh, there's a lot of test match animals, a lot of guys with like serious amount of caps, serious exposure at the highest level, and they're in a very good position going to Bilbao. It seemed like it was a game plan very specifically defined for a team who um, they obviously had a very uh, specific defeat to last year, but also had, you know played twice not that long ago in close proximity. Um, it seems like Leinster kind of most of the most of the time just play their own way, um, and they don't they don't they don't play. A tactic to a certain team. Can you see them yeah, I think developing I think something a, a for good point? I think they will. Um, they had the time because of the they had two. Uh, I know they lost one of them, but they had two fixtures against Italian teams in the Pro Twelve fixtures, um, which Leinster didn't perform at their best. But especially when you look at the second game, the team uh, that turned up against Treviso had. Very few, if any, players that went on to start against um, against Scarlet. the Scarlets, and it was mentioned in an article I read. I can't remember who wrote it, but maybe it was Tolan, maybe it's right. Kids, maybe it was Rory O'Connor. Um, he said that it, that team had the look of uh, a team who'd been playing as opposition to hmm. a first string team in a serious training room, and. With the hindsight, that's exactly what it was, um, because that Lancer team looked extremely focused on carrying out a specific game plan, as you say, and it was well worked out. It did, it did focus on um, the Scarlets' the weaknesses. Every team has weaknesses. The Scarlets have weaknesses, and it exploited them ruthlessly. I think to to address, it reminded me in a that sort of a particular approach of the All Blacks in the semi-final of the 2015 World Cup when they're playing against the Springboks and they just knew that we can't play this game in our half we can't give away penalties in our half we can't allow them to turn the over in, the ball in and, pissing rain was it? Yeah, yeah 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 really wet conditions where they just knew that if if they stayed out of their own half they would beat the Springboks. And they kicked a huge amount of ball. Now, you, you can sort of say the, the weather was wet, but I think if the weather had been dry, they would have kicked a huge amount of ball until they were sort of clear enough. And, like, McCall refers to playing for the Crusaders against the Bulls in a match, and Jarrah Payne giving away, uh, like, an intercept try by throwing something loose. 
And you didn't forget about it. And you're sort of going, like, how significant a match was this in Richie McCaw's 100-plus test matches? But the fact was that like, you didn't forget about it. The concentration required that, like, you're there to do a job. It's, like, it's, it's just a real professional mentality. You're not there to entertain yourself. You're not there to entertain the crowd. And that's why I go back to Joey Carberry and, and Jordan Larmer that people refer to afterwards that like the young guys don't understand how, how difficult these are to win. They think that it happens all the time. Whereas you sort of see the likes of James Ryan, I suppose by virtue of being, you know, playing in the second row, he's, he's pretty got a different perspective on things than the, the two guys playing in sort of the outside backs. Um, that like there's just a reality of winning matches. Mm -hmm. Like the, there's a sort of, uh, there's a, a hardness, there's a yeah, pragmatism. Yeah, there's a rigor to it, yeah. There's a rigor to it that this is what you have to do and it's it's just, prof like, it's professional. It was, it was a super performance. You have your Dunnaker Ryans and you have your Teddy Tomases, though. <laughs> <laughs> you piano do? movers yeah. and your piano players. You yeah, you yeah, do, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and, you know, and, the, and they both completely have a part to play. I think it's so. quite a good segue there. Um, Segway. It's, yeah, so speaking of Racing, um, and maybe we'll talk about the Munster match in a bit, but in terms of um, how they play and how they played against uh, Claremont and Munster, which were both really impressive performances, um, certainly the end of the Claremont match and mm. the start mm. of the um, the start of the Munster match, um, where they won those games respectively. Um how do they compare to the way that the Scarlets play, and how will how do you think Leinster might adapt what they do to play against Racing? I know you think that um, the two Laurents Travers and the Beat are very accomplished coaches. Um, like I, I agree with you. No, I wasn't saying that, but I don't. <laughs> uh, I, I do. I think that they're really. I think that uh, they sort of. S in the top fourteen, in terms of French, nationally French coaches, they set the they set the mark for for the coaches in the league. And it was interesting to read that Dunica Ryan said that they trained four days in a row and they trained hard going into that semi against Munster, which is the opposite of what I would thought to do. With a, most most French teams are on average older than the the Irish teams that they play, and while that Racing team isn't particularly like. You know, Gomez, uh, Camille Schatz, two of their two of their front five are in their very early twenties. Eddie Benares is still in his twenties. Um, they're they're not they're not no French side is a young side. Um, so it was you know it was really interesting to hear that. I think as um, they offer a very different. Um, I think like what the Scarlets are very good at is that they've got a, a fifteen man game plan. So. Like you can see the Scarlets run a run a phase and then go to another phase and like the four guys that are involved um in the first phase run out like they sprint out to the right of the pitch. They know exactly where they're going. So like it's they know they're gonna give themselves with, they know who's gonna give them set they know who's gonna give with where on the pitch. Um I thought that what the what Racing bring is far more of what O'Gara called La Duel. Um, particularly the likes of um, Eddie Benarus, who's really strong over the ball, and I think he won the final penalty when he came back on. Um, again, like he's really, really strong at jackling, really good for France when he does that. 
Wenceslas Larry uh, and LaRue are good at that. They've got Nyanga in the back row, who I, I'm not sure why he didn't get picked for years for France. I'm not sure if he offended somebody or Jesus, uh, good, yeah. But like he's he's an excellent line-out option, and he was a better attacking option a few years ago when he was quicker. Um, and then they've obviously got Donegal Ryan in the second row. So like they've um, they bring a lot more. I would sort of individual 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 one-on-ones or individuals who are sort of enabled to go out and play mm-hmm. than the Scarlets who play a very sort of team-oriented game. Um, I suppose like it's the offloads from the, what's the Fiji, Nakarawa? Nakarawa, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, popping things out of the top of the tackles and Teddy Thomas being a, a, a serious improviser and just like a guy who can beat you one-on-one with speed. Yeah, like if, if Teddy Thomas gets in, in, so if you got like Vakatoa and Nakarawa to give you the the offloads with Teddy Thomas training, like trailing, like once he gets in behind, you're pretty much guaranteed to try. He's he's a like he's a beautifully balanced runner. He's so quick. You, mm-hmm. you could even see when Earls got through near the end and Thomas came across that like he almost effortlessly shut him down. You could see the problems that he gave Stockdale, who's very quick. Uh, when Stockdale was trying to cover against him early on in the French match. Um, he obviously scored that try. And, you know, they've got the likes of Machineau. They have particularly Dan Carter, who, um, you know, was still making tackles, was still doing all his basics really well. So the only the only sort of issue that you would have about Racing is that it's, it's not the only competition that they're in. Like, they're third in the top 14. The top 14 is a big deal for them. Um, while a number of their players are young, it is, you know, relatively speaking, it's a bit of an older team. Um and I they're they're a merit, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um they're you know, they're fighting on two fronts and the they're they're in good position and well they're obviously in the final, so but they're you know, they're they're in good position in the top fourteen as well. So it um you couldn't really have any qualms. Like if Toulon or Saracens were there, you couldn't have any qualms with them either. Mm-hmm. Um and Racing, yeah, would be, you know, the other team from the knockouts, which is, I suppose, the I guess, does it, does it does it beg the question, where does that leave Munster? We're talking about Munster in sort of semi-finals. Like, is there a hoodoo yeah. around it now? Well, well I, I think... I want to... I, I I picked up on something during the commentary on the B, on BT where Donegal Callaghan was uh, commentating, and he said very on in the first half, he made some reference to it not being our day or players thinking that it might not be our day more specifically uh, after only a few mistakes. And I thought it seemed very negative because, I mean, I was kind of going into it thinking, Jesus, how did Munster get through that too long game? But they did. They did it with that kind of like know-how and just belief and tone. And, and then from the last conversation we had where you were both confident that they had Rassing's number to an extent, having played them twice this year already, uh, I, w- I was sort of going thinking, why are they, why would you be thinking this is not our day after 10 minutes? Um, but then it's now sort of dawned on me that they've lost six semifinals in a row. It was five, obviously, before this one. Um, do you think there is a kind of a hang up when they get there that they're not really at the level required? I hadn't realized that, that the total of, of uh, 
semi-finals was in a, in a row was so high. Um, once you said, of course, it's you know it's, it's obvious. Um, and I, I, we were talking a little bit earlier off mic. Um, well, the microphones weren't even unpacked <laughs> at that stage. Um, and you mentioned fatalism, and I thought it was it was a really strong point. Um, I do remember exactly him saying. I was I was watching the rugby club, and I remember um, I remember exactly him saying, it and it did strike me that it was wow, that is that is pessimistic, um, because it was it was so early on in the game, mm. uh, and now things weren't going um, things were going against Munster, but. You know, buckets of time. Yeah. Buckets see, of time. It, it sticks out in my head as being before the drop goal as well. The mm. attempted drop goals. Um, which Mark... And, and Donegal Callaghan, as, his turn as a journalist has been really impressive. His articles have been, have been really good. Now. Um, so, yeah, it did, it did strike me as, as fatalistic. And they were, they were poor. They were shockingly poor, Munster. And, you know... I, I picked them. Uh, we we both picked them to win. Yeah, I thought they'd win. Um, and they were really poor. They were scratchy. They were weren't at the pitch, the same pitch as as Racing. They were uh, they made bad decisions, bad captaincy decisions in terms of where they stood in the game, how many points they needed versus how many minutes were left. Mm. Their general skill section. Like people are really piling on Ian Keatley and Ian Keatley didn't have a good game um, you know he, he didn't Keats unfortunately didn't have a good game but yeah nor did anybody else Conor Murray didn't have a good game mm. um, Ian Wooden didn't have a good game Keith Earls wasn't really in the game uh, Peter Manny certainly didn't have a good game so you know uh, you mentioned something there about um the managing of like when to take points and there was a specific one that we we talked about before this about uh, was it taking a penalty just before half time when it was 21 yeah well, three? It, it was it was 24 3 and i suppose it's uh it's part of a wider um compromise of my or questioning of my beliefs like i'm I, I would I saw a match and I remember what match it was. It was it was a, it was a Clongos Mary's final in the early nineties and Clongos were behind by I think nine points going into the last five minutes and their captain decided to take three points and I thought is he mad and they got it and they got back up and he did the same again and then they did the same again and they I think with the last kick of the game they drew they went to replay they lost but th- that always stuck with me the. The idea of taking your points and subsequently captain and teams i i went for kicks and i remember when kickers didn't want to take them and we get the kick and we'd win i remember when kickers didn't want to take them and wouldn't take them and like had to get another kicker and be missed and i remember when kickers didn't want to take them or would tap it and run off and we'd lose and i still look back at the guys and the guy, he's not a bad guy but like he's a moron <laughs> I, st- I, st- I still think of him as a moron like I'm there going like well, it's a terrible decision yeah. like it, it and at 24-3 my first instinct was get points on the board like get points on the board see if you can get another penalty before half time and like if you go in at 24-9 it's not that bad like if you if you get another if you get a try it's 
16 and particularly the way that the uh the laws have changed so that if you've got a penalty and you you kick it into the corner game's not over mm-hmm. if you go into like 80 minutes if you go into the red sort of clock mm-hmm. seven point within seven points you've got a chance so even at 24 three down you've you've actually what you've got to do is get 11 points more than the opposition over the next say 42 43 minutes that are on the clock so if you can get three right in front of the posts you reduce that to eight it's like it's not it's not that much mm. and especially if it's a kick that we're talking about you're in a good position to kick you know if it's if it's a, like if it's within a position that i always call a sort of kicker's box so the 15s on each side and and the the 10 meter line you know so that big square basically right in front of the sticks those are all kickable penalties you know and and i always say go for the posts rather than take your points you know because you have to get the kick but there are situations i i I was looking at that monster um side it's driving me yeah like who's 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 going jesus just get points on the board they they have to kick it back to you. Once you get the points, they'll give you the ball straight back. Yeah, and I suppose like to, so one of the things I was thinking during the match was there has the game changed so much that if you have the ball in your own half, that it's so difficult to get out. Like, is it like have the laws changed that much? And mm. I thought, no, they haven't really. So, like, we're talking about a very specific instance here, but I think in general. I drafted an article about this after Ireland played America when Omani was captain. So we're talking 2012, I think, in Houston. 2030 like Lions Tour. And, and people have, Lions Tour, yeah. And people, like, teams have been doing this for the last five or six years. And I, I can't I can't really figure out whether they've done the maths on it. Like, what I was looking at, like, what, when you're talking about the box and, like, that kick, you're, you're 97, 98, 99% probable to get it mm-hmm. by three. So let, let's just call that, like, 2.95 points or something like that. If you're going expected for points, ex- expected <laughs> points, yeah, exactly. If you're if you're going to go for the try, so you kick into the corner and you mull it over and you score the try. Now most kickers are very good, and like they'll, you know, they have a good chance of getting the conversion. But you're sort of going, you've you've to get the five points and less probability of getting the try. Like you've 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 got to score one out of every two of those lineouts to get it, and like. Oh, lads, I hate you to pass. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there. like I mean, the mats—you you, got to write the mats down. But like, the, the thing is, like, fellas, fellas, basically get the horn for the deal, and they decide, you know, we have to chase, we have to get seven points, we have to get seven points. So, the way I thought about it is, like, to make this more accessible, is that sort of idea of value against growth, like the idea of picking a stock like Amazon, which just like you know shoots up towards the moon, as against picking a stock that'll just keep on paying you dividends and. Like Amazon's a bad example because it did go up for the moon. But you're talking about like any number of these stocks which had huge potential but hadn't made any profits. But I mean, like, you know, they sold this much and they're going to sell this much next year. And they just crap out. Mm-hmm. And there's there's certain environments where you can kick into the corner. Your world comes then. Your world comes. But yeah. there's there's certain there's certain environments where you just you keep the scoreboard moving. And like what was really instructive was when Mashino had the opportunity to go from twenty four to twenty seven, he didn't have any reservations mm. he went for it and he got it and then when he had a chance to go to 30 he went for it and he missed it because he was tired by that stitch and like the points that Munster got near the end you sort of go oh the game is different you know like Rassing had switched off Rassing were only defending they knew what they had to do all of that is valid but like 
they were still able to score the tries near the end. They still had Simon Zebo to bring on. Like, you got to keep the scoreboard moving. So this, this is sort of the idea of applying pressure in a cup match. It's like, and the comparison I made is if you're playing match play golf, like if you watch the Ryder Cup and like you watch... Poulter won recently and they were showing yeah, you were, they, yeah. they were showing like his, his Ryder Cup Medina moments like if, if you get a guy who just gets streaky on the back nine it's brilliant but you have to put yourself in a position to hang on in there by by like hitting the middle of the green rather than sort of feeling desperate and kind of you know going for the flag when it's just in front of the water so again like there's like the idea is you just keep the scoreboard taken over if you're mm-hmm. playing cup match rugby have the confidence to keep the scoreboard taken over because you actually what you do is you you make the other team doubt themselves and you make them sort of like i turn we turn around at 17 9 when leinster had given away three pretty cheap penalties they weren't under massive pressure and any of them and McFadden had knocked on cheaply. And I went, shit, like, is it, are the Scarlets in a better position here at Leinster? Like, the Scarlets haven't been in the match, but they're only eight points behind. And every opportunity they get to score tries, they're taking. Right, to score, score points, points yeah. they're taking. Like, and, and that so machine happened, you, didn't look like missing. It didn't all. look like missing. So like, the question is, are you doing a rope-a-dope? Are you doing a Rocky Balboa where you're just absorbing punishment, absorbing punishment and staying in? Or... Are you just having your liver and your kidneys pulverized and it's just a matter of time before like you're pissing blood and you're going to lose by 30 but points. But this going back to a very, very old example of this a game that was took place when our, like our <laughs> next generation was like a kid. Like that famous Don Clark versus the Lions. Lions scored. 59. Yeah. Three points for a try and the yeah. Lions scored what? The Lions like, scored three or four, three or four tries, tries against six penalty goals, wasn't 18, it? 18-17. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, let's do a detailed analysis of that game. one that was in colour. <laughs> Back then, of course, they kicked the ball torpedoes. So. <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking of uh, the... It was the quarterfinal in 1999 that France beat... Uh, the All Blacks in Lomu was playing. Is that quarterfinal or semi? Semi. Semi-final. Semi-final, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, the French looked, to all intents and purposes, like they were never going to ta- tackle John Lomu in that game. But they took two quick drop goals in succession at the start of the second half, I think. Um, La Maison. Keep, La Maison, yeah, to keep keep the scoreboard ticking, as they would say. And I was like, that's better than an unconverted try. And like, they did nothing for it, other than get into the opposition half and like, it not be expected so I'm thinking of keeping the scoreboard ticking over I'm also thinking though there's a couple of things that feed into that like corner mentality is the continual incentivization of tries which is obviously a really good thing um, in the sport um, like it's been added to the Six Nations which reduces the kind of like amount of test match rugby that is purely like this is all, all that matters is the result and the other thing is the kind of like I guess the psychological thing, and maybe maybe we're, we're talking again about Munster's psychology and their naughty's uh, nostalgia, but like kicking the ball into the corner and mulling it over was like their favorite thing in the world. It was even better than scoring a good try. It was like let's score a try that just shows how like how we're tougher than them. I think I think where that came from in this part of the world was from Munster, but it was in the final in Cardiff against B Ritz when the the brains trust of the Munster team had talked with each other and said, like, kicks aren't going to be enough to win this. You need to score tries to win these big matches. 
and they spurned a kick against Biritz that like O'Gara you'd expect yeah, them to get in the sleep. Yeah, they went to the corner, they now, didn't yeah. score, but from the territory they did score. I think the other thing is just in general is that you, you play for yellow cards by keeping the pressure on the opposition. So you you say to yourself, good point. We've we've got an opportunity to we've got an opportunity to score a try. I believe we're going to do it and we're going to get one of your guys sent off in the process. Yeah. I don't know if the numbers bear it out. I can see the argument. The yellow card thing is also, it's kind of unpredictable as well because the referees will, they're never quite the same on how they're going to treat no, that's I'm true. thinking of also again of uh, Ireland versus Wales. That was definitely a World Cup quarterfinal where it seemed like we went to the corner an awful lot and didn't take points. Ireland always go to the corner against Wales and don't score. We yeah. did it two years ago or three years ago in Cardiff. We did it last year. We did it this year. <laughs> like, mm. And uh, I also have a very specific memory I can't remember what year tour it was, but Paulie was captain of the team in Argentina, and we spent the oh la- I remember we this spent game. minutes thirty seven to forty of the first half kicking the ball at the corner and fucking it up, and then we got a penalty in the first minute of the second half, and we kicked for the posts, mm. and it was like oh well, that didn't work. I better kick for the posts now that like yeah. instead of like it being like a two minute drill and going we have to get this right we can't like we have to do this scores basically in two plays. And O'Connell did the same famously against the Tigers Lester, in the, the yeah. first match that Munster lost at Thomond, where they gave the Tigers a scrum rather than taking the three points. And the Leicester guys were going, are you serious? Like they're Julian White playing. And scrummaging was that Munster, it seems, yeah. it was their worst attribute. Um, so, you know, as much as I think Paulie's a brilliant captain, he was terrible at deciding when to go um, for the sticks and when to yeah, go for well, the Yeah, that thing as well. Well, I think that was he, was, he was particularly involved because he called line-outs... It was the strongest element of his game. Um, so, perhaps it's a failing of a man. You then at the weekends, well, their lineup was working. Like, wasn't yeah, working, well, it's really interesting though. I was, you know, the Dunica Ryan's move across to uh, Racing probably did put them in a lot of probably put Munster rather under a lot of pressure. Even though they had changed coaches. Um, Midway through the season from Erasmus to Van Graan, they retained the same scrum coach and forwards coach and Jerry Flannery and presumed they retained the same line-out calls. Mm. So Dunica Ryan would have been very familiar with maybe the words might have been different, but the concepts and movements would have been the same. And who they want to go for. Who they want to go for. A particular place. You know, and then, you know, you're not talking about big two, or, two or three yeah. seasons later. You're talking about... It's it, he played his his last match for for Munster May. In, in May, yeah. so you're talking you know nine or mm. sorry ten ten eleven months ago, so I I felt that they over now and also that that Rassing line out with uh, Nyanga Nyanga and uh, Nakarawa and Bernard Roo is actually a very reasonable line out player, he's uh, strong but I thought that Munster over thought that and and their line out play. Was uh, was shite. It was shit. Um, in the first half, when Scannell was on, Scannell's a good thrower. Got better with Marshall on. Did get better with Marshall on. Everything got better with Marshall on. Scannell didn't play well. Mm. Um, he hasn't played a lot of rugby this season, and, and Marshall was Marshall was much better. And Marshall's clever. It's funny, like in in comparing comparing him to the two, uh, Rassing, um, Shannon Spurs, too sexy. Yeah, the two like absolute muscle men. And Reese Marshall comes on. He looks like a, he looks like an old-fashioned, you know, good amateur. But he was he was very good. And I think I think obviously the the two uh, 
French hookers, you know, quality players in their own right, but they are enormous muscle-bound units, sort of body-beautiful types, whereas <laughs> Reese Marshall does look, he looks like what he is, you know, and you've seen him farmer who plays rugby well. That said, you thought that Munster had expanded their game, have, have expanded the game under Van Graan and have... Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I've been very impressed with Van Graan. Um, you know, I, I'd sort of forgotten that he only took over halfway through the season. And a lot of people, me included, thought that their last season was a huge emotional, um, a huge emotional, an emotional resolve to uh, compensate or honor Anthony Foley. Honor Anthony Foley. And I thought that there might, you know, with, with their coach leaving halfway through a season and and having put in that much effort and having put in so much emotional effort into last season, I thought that this season could, you know, go pear-shaped this with, with, a, with a changeover in coach mid-season, and it hasn't at all. They got to the last four of Europe again. Mm. They're going to qualify for the knockouts with the Pro uh, pro 14 again, and I think that they're, they're expanding their game. You know, one of the things which was really interesting uh, now, there's an over-reliance on CJ Stander, but you could argue that Ireland are probably over-reliant on CJ Stander. Uh, but Stander had 32 possessions, and 11 of them were passes, and he had an awful lot thrown in there as well. So, you know, he's moving the ball an awful lot more than he used to. Uh, if you look at his... Against that is the fact that he's he's wearing down. You know, he's been carrying a huge load for six years, three years for for Munster alone, and, and another three years for Ireland and Munster. Uh, all everyone is far more aware of him, um, and he's 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 not as effective a ball carrier as he was, but he is rounding out his game and the lines and oh, it's, geez, and the lines, yeah. It's, and it, he was uh, he was the lines biggest ball carrier, yeah. And he played all those midweek matches where you you know, and he probably did the shadow fifteen, the shadow yeah, the shadow fifteen, like you know, mm. where you don't really get a break. You're not, you're not seeing to get a break in the test matches, so. They're just hard, those Lions tours. Mm. Like when you you go down, you're playing in New Zealand, be it playing test matches back-to-back or be it uh, drinking with Rory Best and, uh, <laughs> and Marler. <laughs> just on that note, when you're talking about um, CJ passing the ball rather than um, 71 defenders not beating and one <laughs> defender beating, do you think uh, do you think that's indicative of um, a sort of like a, ch- a change in... The, out, the mindset at Munster is something that uh, Van Graan has installed. Maybe you might say Van Graan's grand plan. I do. I do. Um, I think that there's, it's, sort of, it's worth remembering that he made a big call. Um, he made a big call in leaving out Zebo, And those are the sort of things which can blow up in your face. And in this one, I wouldn't say it blew up in his face. It didn't turn out well for him, but he's a guy who sees both players on a daily basis. And he, I, I always find it hard uh, to criticize coaches for making a call in which a more decorated player is left out for a guy who's more in form. Now, it didn't pan out well for Wooden. It mightn't have panned out well for Zebo if he was defending Teddy Thomas for the first 20 minutes either. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't all Wooden's fault. Um, He's also without, and Sam Arnold won uh, Munster Young Player of the Year last night, uh, but during the Six Nations, Chris Farrell turned in a man of the match performance uh, against Wales and has been extremely impressive for Munster. 
And I think that there's a very difficult decision to be made with regards to number 10 jersey, huh? I don't, I wouldn't want to be associated with a, a, a big pile on onto uh, Ian Keatley, but nor do I want to be just uh, afraid to criticize somebody uh, for, you know, for the sake of just being afraid. Like, Keats, Keatley didn't, he didn't play well by his standards. Um, and he, he's in a position where he's played almost, like, Keatley has played almost 250 pro games for Connacht and Munster. He's hugely experienced. He turned 31 earlier this month. So he's, in, he's really in the prime of his career as an out half. He's really experienced. He's not yet knocking on the last door. So there's no reason for him to be so snatchy at things. There's no reason like for him to be panicky or anything like that. And I felt that he I felt that he was. And you know, there's four Munster have four out halves, four senior out halves in their squad between Blendal Keatley, JJ Hanrahan, and Bill Johnson, who yesterday signed a two year deal. Now, Johnson is very young, same age as Jordan Armour, born ninety seven, so he's either twenty or twenty one. Uh, and a lot of people speak from very, very highly, but that's typically what happens when people are young. People speak of you very highly. Like JJ Hanron was outstanding for Ireland in 2012, and he's been badly coached since then. And he, you know, didn't like he wasn't a massive Im- improvement on on Keely when he came when he came on either. Um, but Keely is in in he's I I was sort of thinking of it this morning as the veteran fullback when when. Uh, when an NFL team drafts their quarterback of the future, and they also want to have a veteran quarterback there, a Chad Pennington or something like that, you know, Nick Foles, a proven campaigner who knows all the things and will, will will be there and will mentor the young guy coming in, and if necessary, will go in as a backup, but is expected to be overtaken. And I sort of think that if Van Gran is to continue moving this. Munster side forwards that that might be how he looks at um, Ian Keatley in the out half position I'm I'm thinking of Rob Baxter and I'm trying to remember the name of Steenson so Steenson left Ulster uh, like Steenson is in between the sort of the Humphreys and Jackson generation and more or less same age as Johnny he's, he's been at, he's been at Exeter for their rise their triumphs their you could call it dominance now and he was joined by uh, Witten mm. who's another guy who's like who's surplused requirement at Ulster so you sort of gone like Ulster, Ulster have had better players than these two guys but these two guys have had much better careers than pretty much everybody at Ulster mm. like who hasn't played for Ireland and I think the challenge it's not the only way that I'll judge Van Graan but if Van Graan can get can allow Hanron to reach his capacity can allow him to fulfill his ability. I think Van Gran and Hanrahan, Van, Van Gran's grand plan for Hanrahan, that just fell together. Yeah, it did. Because like, like we said, I mean, JJ was, when he played for Rob Penny, I mean, forget the underage stuff. The underage stuff was, is, is a good indicator, but it's, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's when he was, when he was grade, playing yeah. for Rob Penny, uh, he scored that try, or did he set a score or set up the try against Perpignan? Perpignan, he scored it. And like Penny talked glowingly about him, and Penny gave him eleven starts in the twenty-two league matches that season, and you know talked about how good he was, but talked about how he had bits to learn, and he's never had a coach like that since. Didn't have it with Foley, didn't have it in Northampton with Malander, with you know the way Myler was there preferred, and 
you know, obviously didn't have it with um, with Erasmus there either. So there's really, like, I mean, you know, Hanron has to help himself here, but he's, you know, he's he's still sort of the great white hope, I think. I think, uh, funny enough, I think Johnson's now more great white hope. And I think that Hanron is a bit of, uh, he's viewed, I think, with a little bit of suspicion even in Munster. And um, maybe that's overstating it, but, you know, Fans of any province can be fickle, and I think they're now saying, "No, Bill Johnson is 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 our guy." Mm. Whereas I would not at all give up give up hope on on ha- JJ. On JJ, yeah. Explain to everyone why you stole my flake and didn't even ask permission to open the box. It wasn't actually needed. Age flake. It was someone else who came into here. <laughs> someone else, right? Looked a bit like you. No. Okay. Well, who was that then? It was one of your teammates. So another lad's robbed me. Mm. So you at the Frere Rocher. I took the Frere Rocher, yes. Yeah, but who took the flake then? Just say the name quickly and that'll be it. I'm not ratting him out. You need to rat him out. I am not ratting on Farlow. <laughs> okay, so he came in and stole it, did he? He's getting it. Yeah. I'm disappointed. Just, just say, just say, ask him sorry and we'll carry on as normal. I'm not sorry. Speaking of the Lions' uh, notable absence from the semi-finals, and I think for the rest of the season, and probably the Australian tour, it seems like, is Sean O'Brien, who obviously had a very busy summer, but has not had, I mean, he's been busier, unfortunately, in the rehab room and in the op- on the operating table than he has been for Leinster this year. Um, he's got, what, how many appearances? Five, six this season for Leinster? Six for Leinster and two for Ireland. Um, I... Well, I, I'm always struck by the tone of coverage that surrounds Sean O'Brien, Sean O'Brien's latest injury and, you know, how, you know, journals are basically fans with newspapers and how, look, everybody wishes Sean O'Brien well on his latest comeback trail, but like wearing blue tinted glasses for a while, I sort of question the wisdom of him going to the lines playing three test matches in a row, playing as many minutes on the Lions tour in four weeks, more than he did for Leinster, as many as he did for Ireland, on the back of a number of seasons where, like he's played five seasons in a row where he hasn't played between Ireland and Leinster, he hasn't played more than a thousand minutes. Like he hasn't played, actually he's only played one season, which was 16-17, where he's played more than 800 minutes. And 800 minutes is significant because it's 10 games. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking 10 games from September to May. But yeah, we're, it's we're, 40 weeks. Yeah, like we're, we're talking, leave out June, which is a tour, which is legitimate. So you could, you could include that. Like leave out July and August. We're talking nearly, include June for, for the sake of maths. We're talking about a game a month on average. And this is a guy who, I don't want to be personal about it. I suppose really what I'm thinking about is giving out contracts to fellas. Like when Sean O'Brien was signed for three years, it was met with universal acclaim in Ireland and Leinster. But it's been an absolute dud. It's been a waste of money. Like, I mean, he, he could have gone off and played for Toulon or played for Claremont or whoever, or Rassing or whoever wanted to sign him, and he wouldn't have played for them either. He would have been injured for them. And if he really wanted to play for the Lions, Warren Gatlin could have picked him, and the French could have dealt with the fallout of it. Because on the opposition, you had Dunica Ryan playing. And Dunica Ryan left... And look, Ireland are very strong in the second row at the moment with the emergence of James Ryan, probably more so than they thought they were going to be. It's actually Dunnock Ryan's son. <laughs> <laughs> but like, 
like Don Ryan is a guy who had very like a very specific injury. He had the, the sesamoid bone in his toe. He couldn't scrum much. He could do everything else in training, but he couldn't play rugby. It looked like he had a bad injury profile. And he played, like I looked it up, he had played 755 minutes, all of it for Munster. And then he played in four year? in, sorry, 13, 14. And then the following season, he played 439 minutes, all of it for Munster in domestic fair. Like no, mm. no European matches even. So you're sort of going, ooh, yeah, it's a bit, yeah, it's just over, it's just over five, it's five and a half games in one season. And you're going, ooh, this guy's got a bad injury profile. Before that, he played like, not just a thousand plus, like nearly 1500, like 1475 type of like, you know, 1500 minute seasons an 1,800-minute season followed by a 1,300 and 1,800 last they, season. They take into account all... All matches. like Domestic the, Europe. Domestic Europe, international matches. And like for, for Racing this season, he's already over 1,000. He's at, he's at 11. And he, and he had a late start as well. And he started in December because of the neck injury. Mm. And you're going... For Irish rugby, it makes more sense to hold on to Dunica Ryan and let Sean O'Brien go. Now, the sort of... the. The guy who's always compared to Dunica Ryan is Jamie Heaslip. Yeah, because of their age. Because their age is, like, they're practically... Almost twins, born the same yeah, month, aren't they? like, they're born within a month of each other. Now, the thing is, like, Heaslip has obviously had to retire, but it's been tremendously unlucky. Jamie Heaslip's production, to use that sort of idea of, like, you know, how often a guy plays, is phenomenal. You're talking about a guy who played over six seasons of over 2,000 minutes. You're t- like he's 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 comfortably over a thousand in every single ma- every single even the season that he retired in, he got up to fourteen hundred. Like Sean O'Brien has had half of that for four of the last five seasons. Yeah. Not even half. He's had a third of it this season. Like so, I think in terms of giving out contracts and where guys he didn't play, give the contract to himself. He didn't give the contract yeah, to himself. Yeah. You know, it's it's a judgment call from from and Lucifer, you know his uh, again Sean O'Brien, his sort of national. And it's very, it's this is an extremely superficial point, but his national popularity would far exceed that of Jamie Heaslip. And I think that there's leverage there. You know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but there is leverage there. Yeah, he's more of an icon of the team, certainly. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I just I just offer it as a sort of a counterpoint that when you see a guy like Dunnick and Ryan play for Racing and go to European final, you go, he could still do a job. He could still do it, and so you just like how do you, yeah how do you, how do you value players when when you when you take when you take us if you if you just for briefly set aside the IRFU conventions mm. and say well like our second row core could include Ty Byrne, Dunnick Ryan, Ian Henderson, Dev Tone, or James Ryan, Alton Delan, like that's that is six really good second rows, yeah you know, six. That's three teams worth, or it's two full teams and, and a sub. It allows you to consider Henderson or Byrne as a six, full out, and mm-hmm. just go, like, look, we're, we're covered. We're covered at second, or we're going to play one of these lads at six, and we're going to have, like, a really physical, a line-out option, yeah. big ball carrier, big really ball carrier physical. Be... Because we're covered in second, or it can't yeah. go wrong for us. Like, even if two of the lads are injured, it's grand. Yeah. So, um... I suppose the question that I was asking myself is, is, is the Lions worth it from an Irish perspective? I used to hear the English guys go on about this and think, ah, that's just the English, that's so selfish. But I was looking at Leinster without Sean O'Brien and thinking, do they miss him? 
they do. They miss a fit, Sean O'Brien. Yeah. But that's the other thing. That's what I was going to say is that I did a little bit of, as you did, just research, you know, and Sean O'Brien, it's not something new that as Leinster fans or as Leinster followers that you have to get used to. Sean O'Brien has been averaging six starts per season for half a decade. Like he's, he's, he's made something like 30 starts for Leinster over five seasons. Again, this this sounds like we're uh, picking on Sean O'Brien. You know, it's just considering him in 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 sort of as as the abstract, a player who plays six times here per season, he's not going to be that valuable to you. You have thirty games per season, and sort of the opportunity cost is where else do you spend that money? Um, so it's. It, I don't know, like, is there an easy answer? I suppose we, like, I briefly looked at Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs is interesting because Kevin McLaughlin is the director of operations, a uh, former rugby player, so it's 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 interesting to see where a former pro ends up. The Sorry, former rugby player, Leinster, Leinster blindside flanker, um, Ireland blindside flanker. It, it was started off more importantly by a guy called Steve Smith who cut his teeth professionally. As a strength and conditioning coach with Leinster Rugby, he left Leinster Rugby, he set up Kipman Labs. Uh, Jamie Heaslip is an investor. They raise money in California. Smith is based over in California. They've expanded beyond rugby. They've got uh, a few English premiership teams. They've got uh, a few baseball teams. Uh, They've got a number of rugby teams. And it's about injury prevention. It's about resting. It's about recuperation. It's It's about... being smart with your preparation. Yeah. I suppose putting numbers around using your, a lot of data, yeah. Yeah, to, putting numbers around your preparation to sort of either confirm what you confirm what you thought or else to uh, recalibrate your your approach to training. And it's it's something coming into contract negotiations because it was very high profile, and I suppose like the most recent guys were um Standard and Omani and I don't know if either of them played that well for Munster. But then when you talk about all the international guys that Leinster had and you go, well, they obviously benefited having all these test match guys, you go, like, it's brilliant to have all these test match guys. So you need you need to keep them in. Mm-hmm. But it's if you don't have enough of them, it can be difficult for the guys that are there to, to constantly produce. Um, and it goes back to the idea of the, the professionalism rather than just, like, you know, pulling a miracle match out every single time, which is the hallmark of a great player. It's not that, like, you know, professional guys can't do it. I remember chatting to a guy who, he was working in Wasps, he was on the staff of Wasps, and it was in the sort of early to mid-noughties, and we were asking him about, like, you know, what's it like training with Delalio and uh, Rob Howley was there, and uh, the fullback Luzi was there. And he says, like, all those guys have, they have their own programs, so I don't tell them what to do. But he says, like, the characteristic of it is they will stand up in front of everybody and say they're going to play really well and then they go out and play really well and like that that confidence that a guy like Delalio brings and when you're talking about English players English number eights like Delalio's in the conversation about like the best of all time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, player, yeah. and that so that ability not only to produce but to produce on demand is the characteristic of a really top class player and that's and that's why you want to keep these really good players that's why you want to keep them playing yeah. but they have to be fit so it's it's a difficult trade off it, it is a difficult trade off and you know it's it's um, I'm sure like for example Sean O'Brien like 
really enjoyed drawing a test series against New Zealand. And like he's never going to get it. never <coughs> another opportunity to play that again ever. That's absolutely that's yeah. Absolutely and like, true. but it's like it's the, you know, I guess the question allowed, is who's investing. A player's what allowed what exactly. In it. The player's allowed to choose, you know, what to do with his own career. Mm. Just like Simon Zebo is allowed to choose to go to racing. Like he, you can make that choice. Just like the um, Carberry is allowed to stay in Leinster, even though he's not. He could be first choice in Ulster. Or you automatically will be first mm. choice in Ulster. But if a player is allowed to choose what to do with your career, just like you're allowed to choose to do what you want to do with your career, and this person, this imaginary person who I'm gesturing to at the end <laughs> of the table, could choose what they want to do in your career. You can choose to hand in your notice the next day, or you can choose to say, I'm going to put in 15 hour shifts. Yeah. You know, you have the choice to do what you, you want to do. But, you know, you're also playing in a. You're, you're, you're playing in the public eye, so if people disagree with those choices, or if people criticise them, and this, you know Carberry or Ross Byrne is is a, is you know something to to talk about in that regard. Because you say, why are you choosing to be to not play in big matches by staying in Leinster? Why are you choosing to be absolutely, definitely second choice at best? rather than explore your potential. And you more or less be given a first-choice jersey without even having to earn it. Um, but there are reasons for and against. The reason for and against, and I, I do hope that the two lads are sort of using it, I genuinely mean this, I don't mean it wholeheartedly, but I do genuinely mean it, are using it as a negotiating point of view. That... Like if New Sephora or Schmidt or whoever, like it's, it's like, I think it's New Sephora. Like New Sephora plays the bad cop here. If oh, New Sephora, and he's he's the, like he's 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 the guy who makes the decisions, and he comes and he goes, because there there was some sort of oh with the timing, you know, the week that was in it, Leo wasn't happy, but like that's new. That's not really New Sephora. Like there's never a good time, you know. It's not yeah. New Sephora's mm. problem. Like he, he's say before the final, it's the same. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same distraction. Yeah. Um, like he's he's got to do what's best for Irish rugby, big picture, and I mean, I th- personally speaking, I think it's a great opportunity for Ross Byrne to like get three years as a starting out half for uh, like a big problem. No, this is we'll talk about this without, later. Without, I think without even without even it's too late without being dismissive of like he's not been sent over to Connacht. To get game time, like Ulster, Ulster, Ulster play in front of big crowds. Yeah, week in, week but this out. is this. I think Ulster have an issue with being a big province. Yeah, I think. Oh, that, yeah, but yeah. that's the thing that sort of maybe buys you going. Yeah, I will. I I just think that Ulster need to think of themselves as a small province. Think of themselves as a province who, first of all, has to be really difficult to beat and really gritty and have a real tight team ethic before they start thinking of themselves as a big province because they don't win anything. They have to be Edinburgh before their Exeter type of thing. Exactly. They have to they have to go, yeah. They need to be Burnley and not Everton. This yeah, it's a good comparison. The but it's like, that's who they need to be. They need yeah. to be What's a, a bit team who are tough to beat with, with an identity. Uh, like you had said about Edinburgh on the season, all the low-hanging fruit is being a pain in the ass to, against, to play against, make your tackles, be good at your set pieces. As as as, as uh, Paul O'Connell said about Warren Gatland, or one of the things that he was encouraged to be is be, be good at the things which don't take any talent. 
tackling work yeah 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 you know, and that's what that's what Ulster need to do um because you know we've we touched on it I think on on more so in, in the written blog than on the the molecast but they're, they're losing Tommy Bow, Charles Pietau Paul Marshall Olding Jackson in at the end of this season that's what five it's you know five internationals Jared Payne god they lost him. They lost previous seasons. They've lost Chris Farrell and Sam Arnold. Yeah. Who were, like, we were now playing for Munster. Um, yeah. um, so they have lost a lot of backs. Um, and they'll lose Andrew Trimble at the end of next season. If uh, And they'll, you know, so they, they bring in, a, like they bring in one of the most outlandishly talented backs we've seen in the last, you know, seven or eight years in Stockdale. But they're losing a lot. Uh, and internationals don't play much for the Interpro team. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> we, we've we said this before, um, and I certainly have said it to you in conversation, that they do have to, if, if I was uh, Rothburn or Joey Carberry, I would be looking for my agents to negotiate with David Nusifor. I would never go into a room with <laughs> <Nusifor>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, you know, I think he'd eat your life. But if I was one of those players, I'd be saying, I would go if I'm offered a central contract. You want me to play in a different province so that I can be of use to the national team? I want a central contract. Yeah, I want a three-year deal. Three-year deal. Probably triple my salary. Yeah, I want a three-year deal. It goes Johnny Sexton. You ask for Johnny Sexton, and you're sort of going, you're not Johnny Sexton. You go, well... And yeah. you're, you, you know, I'm ten like, years younger than Johnny. You're, you're not. You're not going to get that money, yeah. but you're you, you're going to get close to it. And you're just like you're not like you're not in a strong bargaining position. Mm. I'm happy where I am. <laughs> you so need the, the, the idea that one of them um, would move and and stay on the same money like that's that would be a bad idea for the player because he's leaving a very good setup for a complete unknown. Like Ulster still don't have a coach. Yeah. Um, their their organization is still. In turmoil, obviously the big legal case has been resolved, but there's a lot of fallout on all sides. The dominoes are still falling somewhere down the line in that one, um, and it's 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 not a good position to land in. It's not going to Ulster where Les Kiss is the coach and John Gibbs is the Ford coach, which was very attractive. You know, even if they weren't doing great, those are. Really highly decorated coaches who know the Irish setup. Who, who know, know the Irish setup? A lot of players knew them. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's uh, so if you if you were going to go to Ulster, you would want there to be you'd want you'd want there to be a serious incentive. Last question for the night. Fardy, his performance was it Elsom Elsomian Elsomish. <laughs> Elsomask. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first choice again? Elsomian. Elsomian. I would say Elsom. I would say Elsom S. Me too. Yeah, I think so too. Would, or McCartney esque. <laughs> I um. I'd have to say. Yeah, I know. He, I know he plays in the back row. I'd say it was uh, Thornian. 
It was a funny combination of uh, Andy Ward and John Langford. Andy I thought, Ward, were, you, were we talking about Andy Ward the other day, or was it just... No, it must have been somebody I was else. thinking of him as well. I thought it was a combination of Andy Ward and John and, and, and John Langford. Now, like, I mean, the thing about it is that, like, Fardy's far more decorated than either of those two guys were. Um, he's far more decorated, well, Rocky has some captain Australia. Like, Fardy played for Australia for like pretty much all of three seasons for the guts of four seasons and played in the world, a world Cup final. played in the World Cup final started a World Cup final and played really well um, both to get there and in the final he's probably Australia's best he's probably Australia's best player in the final uh, he was really good he was brilliant so he's not he's not like Rocky Elsom in terms of like ball carrying just like rabble rousing, massive amazing. hits, huge plays that he can do. Like no one, I've, I've never seen him. The biggest boy in the year. <laughs> I've, I've never seen anybody in Ireland play like Rocky Elson, but he is a really good rugby player. Um, he seems to be enjoying himself and who like just like makes good decisions. He looks like a really good pro. Looks like a really, really good pro. From the stars, she wore blue velvet, bluer than velvet were her eyes, warmer than May her tender sighs, love was all. 